0: We're going to continue our series, What a Character You you Are, and tonight talking about uh, God, the diligent worker, that God is a diligent worker. Let's look at our definition of character, who we are and who we can become because of God's commitment to work in us and our commitment to his work. So we have expanded and sort of changed the definition without doing it any harm tonight to fit our study. So Philippians chapter one, let's pick up in the third verse The theme of the book of Philippians is joy and rejoicing, but there's also a secondary message in the book of Philippians, and it is man's understanding to renew or to commit their mind to be subject to the word of God. So if joy and rejoicing is the overarching theme, And then the secondary theme is, according to the way that your mind is open and receptive to the counsel of the word of God, then we can see how those two really can work together. So the more open and receptive we are to the word of God and to the message of the word of God, then the more joy and rejoicing we'll experience in our life. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always... In every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to open up by just taking a few of the phrases and a couple of the words and bringing uh, them to the surface when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, it was on the heels of him being arrested in that town, being thrown in prison, being beaten unjustly, being accused falsely because of his ministry to a young girl that was given over to fortune-telling or to the occult. He ministered to her. She was set free. And what took place is those that made money from uh, – her uh from her profession weren't real happy with paul and therefore uh he was taken into custody and he was treated very disrespectfully now you think that someone's uh countenance or attitude towards a group of people that treated him uh such uh, so poorly would be one of uh you know disdain or and almost he would despise them but yet He opens up this letter and he says, you know, every every time, every single time I think of you, every single time I think of you, I thank God for you. Now, we know it wasn't the Christians that beat him. We know it wasn't the Christians that threw him in jail. But even then, if you go to a town and the church welcomes you, but the town rejects you, you still struggle maybe with how I should, should I ever go back while I enjoyed the opportunity to minister to those people. Everybody else in town was that was a that was a tough place. Now, let me tell you something else that you probably are aware of. So this will be just as a point of remembrance that Philippi was also a place where Lydia, who was a businesswoman, uh, first encountered the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And uh, and so we would say that she had a, a, a she was in a, the clothing industry. And uh, she was in uh, and she she uh, made beautiful garments, and they were colorful and they were beautiful and but she was uh, also a person of prayer and and they would gather they didn't really have a building or a facility to gather in, and so they would gather by uh, the river by the waterways, which most cities in Europe and the United States major metropolitan areas were built around waterways. it was the the way that that uh, things were transported, and means got from one Port to another port, one place to another port, we're through the waterways, and so going into Philippi, he uh, he encountered her, and uh, and through her hospitality and through her benevolence and generosity, I mean, he began uh, to minister to the believers that were in the area. But Paul's spirit is what I want you to catch here: is that that prayer is is a, a very powerful and influential. Means of ministry. And each and every one of us has a ministry of prayer. Uh, it's something that we're all called to do. Every single one of us has equal access to the Father in the name of Jesus. And I, I shared with you on Sunday, while I love to pray and I love to stand and support and pray with others, one of my great joys is when other people begin to have confidence and assurance that God hears their prayers just as much as he hears anybody else's prayers. And I just want to assure you, God does not have any stepchildren. He just has children. And so when you come to him, he knows you, he welcomes you, he receives you, and he hears your prayers. So I love the way that Paul starts off this letter to this uh, to this church. And really, he cares uh, just as much about the community as he does uh, the individuals that are in the church. And that will become more and more evident as uh, as you read through the the book of Philippians. But I believe that one of the things that we can see here is God is diligently at work. He is the source and he is the power of all change that happens. And we can see that where in verse five, he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, the Apostle Paul was confident of something. He was confident in God. And God what? In God's good work. And what was it about God's good work? That God was going to be faithful to complete it. God is a finisher. And in our life, God is always diligently at work. And we may not always recognize where he's at work, but he's always at work. He's never dormant in our life. He's always active in one way or another. And many times uh, we recognize his work after he has begun it. So he began, or he has be, be, uh, he began something, and he will complete it. And I'm, I, that just speaks highly of God's commitment to us—that he is one hundred percent vested in the well-being of mankind. Why? Because he's developing us to become more and more like Christ. Verse nine through eleven. Here is the prayer, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. I think it's important that we understand that the more that we know about God and the more that we understand and have discernment about his ways, then I believe we <clears throat> it shows up in how we love and how deep our love is and uh, the way we express our love. In verse 10, for that you may approve, here are the things that he's praying, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So he's praying that their love would abound. In the Greek it means overflow more and more according to the knowledge and in all discernment you would have Insight, understanding, why? So that you could approve uh, the things that are excellent. Excellence is something that was really part of the, I, I would say, part of the core. Uh, I, it was really at the core of, of the Bible school that I went to. And um, it was emphasized. There were classes on excellence. It, it, they talked about doing things uh, really well in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. Now, they didn't use the word perfection. And this is where we have to make a, a, a distinct difference. Perfection is us trying to do things to please God in our own strength. Excellence is his power and ability working through us. And so we want to do things in an excellent way. We, we want to carry ourselves in an excellent way. We want to have excellent character. We want to have it in an excellent testimony. And excellence really comes from the most excellent one, and that's Christ. So, you know, the more that, that we come into the knowledge of him, the more we develop our discernment, and the, the more we express and, and live out the love of God, then, you know, that's a, that's a really an, an excellent, that's, a, when I, I think of excellence, I just don't think that every I is dotted and every T is crossed. I, I, I think there's an aesthetic or an outward perspective of excellence where you see something and you would say wow they really did that with excellence whether it's you walk into a building and you can see everything's in order and and things are are done in a in a way that the service is uh is uh uh, is is done in a spirit in in which people are valued and 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 recognized and and preferred and and that's a, a a source of excellence but we talk about the excellence of, of our character. Uh, we, that has to be and can only be attributed to our relationship with Jesus Christ and the ongoing relationship that we have with Christ. So he wants them, uh, to be, to be excellent in everything and that they would be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Now, the word sincere is, is something that's used throughout the New Testament. And it just means with singleness of heart. If you're going to do something sincerely, it's it's you're putting some effort and energy into that particular thing at that particular moment. So let me remind you, when it comes to God working in our life, he's not at work in 10 areas of our life. He's he's working in one area of our life or one area of, of our character development at a time. So here's a good example. How many of you understand that being on time is important? Yeah, I mean just just uh how about being a person of your word? Yes, I mean we would all say yeah, that's that's really important. How about this, about just uh taking care and being a good steward of the things that are entrusted to you, your car, your clothes, your house, uh, your yard. How many of you believe that that could be a testimony to somebody else of uh of uh that you're uh, you're doing things not only with excellence but you know there's a sincerity about about what you're doing, that there's uh, there's a commitment that that uh, that you're making. I, I think the way that we we interact and we converse and we talk with people, uh, I mean, they sense sincerity. Those that's one of my uh, staples as far as uh, when when I'm interacting or interfacing with people is that. And we interact here at the church with people from the community, different people. Uh, I interact with. The, uh, different leaders in town and uh, different business people and and just in, in various places that I, I, I try to serve and try to give back to our community. And one of the things that uh, I, I have um, said throughout the years is is people know when someone's sincere and when they're not sincere. Not only can they hear it, but they can see it. And they can sense it. So if we're going to be people of substance, people of character, people that are glorifying the Lord, then it's not only important that we have knowledge and discernment. It's, it's important that we're expressing and living out the love of God. But we have to do things well and we have to be sincere in how we do them. Uh, and and that that within itself is a powerful testimony of a life that's been touched by Jesus Christ. Now, let's. Consider who's writing this letter and what his reputation was prior to this time. Someone help me out here a little bit. One of the uh, things that scripture says about Paul uh, is that he was, what kind of temperament did he have? Was he even keeled and easy going or was he running hot and angry? Yeah, he was, was he. Merciful, or was he vindictive and vengeful? He described himself as the chief of sinners, an insolent and an angry man, until he ran into Christ and encountered Christ so we're now this this sort of piques our our interest a little bit more if God can do that in a man who is of of that reputation, imagine what he can do with someone you know, that maybe hasn't struggled with some of those issues and hasn't developed some of those really poor character qualities. Now, I, I Just for a moment, just for thinking purposes, let's think about someone else that was converted to Christ who's probably just the polar opposite of the Apostle Paul. Let's think about a man named Barnabas. Barnabas, what was his reputation? He was full of joy. He was a peacemaker. He was a reconciler. He was a merciful man. Barnabas was a bridge builder. And coming to Christ, it only, you know, amplified that. Barnabas believed in John Mark when the Apostle Paul was having questions whether he was even, you know, he should even travel with them or they should even associate with him. But here's what we do know is that even though they had differences about John Mark, I believe that Barnabas's witness to the Apostle Paul helped him to overcome a hurdle in his own character deficiencies because later on in the Apostle Paul's life, he wrote, and please bring John Mark. He's beneficial for me. He had a change in mind. He has a change in his attitude, his perspective about John Mark. Well, what would bring about that change? I think it's his awareness that God was at work in him, and he needed to be just as gracious to let God work in John Mark. And that is character development. Paul grew, and he matured, and he developed. And at one time, he had maybe, you know, some doubts, some hesitancies about John Mark. But later on, he viewed him as very valuable and very important for the mission of God. So we don't want to close the book on anybody for any reason. Because God is at work in them just as he is at work within us. Because why? God is the diligent worker in everyone's life. He is the diligent worker. So I just emphasize you that god is at work in our prayers when you're praying these prayers for other people wherever there's a personal pronoun just pray just put somebody else's name in there and i'll give you an example in verse nine in this i pray that charlene's love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that charlene may approve the things that are excellent that charlene may be sincere and without offense until the day of christ that charlene would be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. When I pray that for Charlene or myself or anybody else, then God is at work. God is at work when we're praying the word of God for other people. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2 and verse 4. Only let your conduct, that's the way we live, be worthy or acceptable of the gospel of christ so that whether i come and see you or i am absent i hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel he's beseeching them that they would be unified i also want to point out in this particular voice that character is what we are when no one else is around he says so if i come or whether I'm absent, these are the things that I desire to hear about you, that you be steadfast in one spirit, one mind, and that everybody be striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it pleasing to the Lord that if we are at the job and we're only working when the boss is watching, is that acceptable or pleasing? Or are we sincerely putting every effort into what we're doing? No, whether the boss is present or whether he's absent, we're working as unto the Lord. And we should do it in a way that those that are around us, you know, are recognizing that these people have a work ethic or they have character that, that you know, we just can't condemn. Now, I know in some work environments uh, there are people that, you know, Try to shine a little brighter when the uh, when the boss shows up. And then when the boss leaves, you know, maybe they slack off. But everybody knows that, correct? I mean, that's not a secret to anybody. There are people that work hard from the moment they clock in to the moment they clock out or the moment they wake up to the moment that they go to bed. They're active and they're, they're helping, you know, in some way or another. And uh, people also recognize that. But what's most important is that God sees everything. And God knows and, and God deals with us uh, and uh, and helps us in, in every endeavor in life. So in verse 28, he says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. In other words, don't be afraid of those that are threatening you, which is to them proof of perdition. The word perdition is a really strong word. It means eternal damnation or punishment. And when we're we're working, we're living and we're doing things in a way that Christ is, is uh, evident in our life then for those that that uh, are on the wrong path i mean it it brings conviction into their life and they're like wow uh these people are living for more than the here and now years ago i was at a, a full gospel businessman's meeting i would have been in my early 20s and they had a uh a professional athlete. They usually had really household names, recognizable names, speak at these events. It was a regional event in Kansas, and uh, and so there were about fifteen or twenty of us from the church that went and they had a business. And then the speaker got up uh, to share and uh, a very, very powerful testimony about how he f- how he came to faith in Christ. And uh, in the in the course of him sharing the story of of how um, how he recognized uh, that God was real it it was along these lines that uh, that there was another athlete that he really had a lot of respect for. Uh, he had a good marriage, he was a good father, he had good work ethic uh, he was a good teammate he was all of these things, and he just thought he was a good guy until you know he started getting to know him on a more personal level, and he found out that that wasn't always his story, but since he came to Christ, that all things had become new and that he was walking a new path and God was working in him and showing him what a good life really looked like. And uh, it convicted him, and this is the statement that he said really bothered him. He said, because I viewed myself, this is the man who came to Christ. He said, I viewed myself as a good man, a moral man, a decent man, but I was not a godly man. I wasn't a godly man. And the man that led him to the Lord, this other athlete, said, you know, I, I think you have a lot of good qualities. But if you die without Christ, you die And we'll spend eternity without Christ. And he said, well, you know, I think my good will outweigh my bad. He gave some of the pretty common responses to uh, a statement like that. And I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And and I'm not as bad as this individual. And, you know, God sort of knows that I believe in him. And and I, I believe there is a God. And so... This is a statement that sort of hooked him. He said, you know, if, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong in my faith, then, then I don't know that I lose anything. I've become a better individual, uh, more compassionate, more caring. Uh, I'm less selfless, I'm more of a servant. But if you're wrong, you lose everything. So when scripture uses the word perdition here, it means, first of all, that there is eternal damnation and punishment for those who are not penitent or repentant of their sins and don't turn to faith in Christ. So how is a person like that convinced that God would care for them, would love them, would welcome them? It's through your and I's character development. And we could say we can identify with what you used to be. And we want to share our story about how we were changed. So I want to bring another biblical character into our thought tonight. This is a, a, a man that was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. So I talked about Saul who became Paul. And I talked about Barnabas. Those were both Jewish men. So they grew up around, you know, the things of God. But there was a man named Cornelius in the Bible. And he was a Roman soldier he was over a battalion of 100 men so he had the title of a centurion and he was a man who understood authority but scripture speaks very highly of this man even before he comes to faith in Christ uh, he was a, he was a good father actually he was a, a tremendous leader and had great respect he understood authority his whole household respected and honored and and so you would have to say this guy was outstanding in his character, except for one thing, he didn't, know. he didn't know God. He also did something that some Christians never do. And I know this may shock you, but he wasn't even saved, and he prayed and he gave generously. And by all outward appearances, what would you say of that individual? You would say, gosh, that guy is a Christian. That guy knows Jesus, and yet he didn't. Have you ever made an assumption, someone's a good person, a moral person, they give, they're generous, etc. cetera? But maybe they don't know Christ. There's a friend that I have, I developed a relationship with him. Uh, his name is Jeff Gelb. Jeff Gelb worked for a little-known uh director and producer named Steven Spielberg. I met Jeff Gelb uh, at breakfast one day. I was in Colorado Springs. I was at a hotel and went down, and it was, uh, the, the restaurant was packed, and there was uh, just one, you know, a, a seat available at Jeff's table. And he saw me lo- looking around, you know how we do, you know, just looking around for a place to sit. And he said, hey, why don't you join me? And we sat down and started conversing. Uh, he was at the the same conference that I was, and uh, and I didn't know that. And he said, "Hey, what brings you to Colorado Springs?" And I shared with him. And he said, "Hey, that's why I'm here." I said, "Hey, that's really neat. Where are you from?" He said, "I'm from California." I said, "My wife's from California." And We started talking about some of the things, and, and I said, "What do you do?" He said, "Well, I I, I work in uh, uh, I work in Burbank." I said, "Yeah." I said, uh, "I said my wife's." family works in Burbank. I said, are you in the entertainment industry? He said, yeah. And I said, and? He said, well, I'm the IT guy for Steven Spielberg. I said, oh, you're the guy that does all the cool things, you know, behind the scenes. He said, yeah. I said, all right. Now, this is the part that I found to be very, very fascinating. Uh, Steven Spielberg Gave Jeff Gelb two hundred fifty thousand dollars to come to this conference and to spend on world missions. Well, he would say, "Surely, I mean, he's getting brownie points with God. I mean, two hundred fifty thousand is a little bit of change." And he gave him two hundred fifty thousand. And I asked, I said, "You know, what's it like working with Stephen?" He said, "Generous, kind." Patient, caring, benevolent. That's said, he said he's a creative genius. He sees things, the whole world like this. And he said, the good news is there's multitudes of people that are praying for him because he's returned to his Jewish roots. Well, that mean at one time he strayed from his Jewish roots. So now he is back identifying with his Jewish heritage, which means he's one step away from the most famous Jew that ever lived, and that's Jesus. Jeff Gelb wasn't just in his life accidentally, not just to work for him. He was a witness. He was a light, and Jeff was a good light in his life to the point that when he found out Jeff was going to a conference, he entrusted him with $250,000 of his own personal money to use to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of Cornelius's out there. They're just one conversation away from Jesus. And you character development and commitment to be more like Christ can open that door for that conversation. Don't think that God can't use you. Because he can. So God's at work. Let's continue to read here because this is as far as we're going to get. We're going to get down here. In verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So Paul was suffering at this moment of writing this letter. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind or humility, Let each one esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. So God is at work and he's diligently at work. And we can see that he's at work even when we're suffering or we're struggling with selfishness. God is at work to make us more like Christ. God is at work as you continue to read on in our mindsets. But as we finish I want to go back to Philippians chapter 1. This is not in your notes, but this is the Apostle Paul. We just see that he's suffering, and he's suffering for his faith. I mentioned to you at the beginning of tonight's lesson that he was in prison. Uh, he wrote the letter to the Philippian church from being imprisoned for ministering to a young girl that was bound by an evil spirit, And this is what he's doing in prison. Verse 12 of chapter one. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. (laughs) Being beaten, being thrown in stocks, um, you know, in the inner prison uh, and and. Uh, All of those things, he says, you know, I I really don't want you to worry about me. I'm okay. As a matter of fact, I've I've got a great story I want to tell you about what's happened to me. Don't forget who this man used to be. Angry, insolent, vindictive, hateful. And now he's saying, hey, hey, guys, don't worry about me. I would put. On top of all of those bad character qualities that the Apostle Paul had. Selfish. And then he goes on and he says, verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. <laughs> and to all the rest that my chains are really in Christ. I'm, I'm really not bound except the only the only thing I'm bound to is to live a Christ centered life. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed, yes, I know, preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, and yes, will rejoice. On Sunday, we, we handed out the church around the world. And I pray that you take time to read this little pamphlet. It talks about the persecuted church something that we're really not that familiar with, and we don't encounter that much. We encounter some people being rude, unmannerly. We, we encounter people maybe being closed-minded or hard-hearted. But for the most part, we're not encountering some of the things you'll read about in this pamphlet that happened to people in other parts of the world, imprisoned, beat mercilessly, their house burned down, their churches burned down, their children drug out into the city, into the streets, and threatened. It's important that we remember we're part of the body of Christ. We need to be praying for the people around the world that are being persecuted and that are facing affliction for the cause of Christ. And we should also thank God for the liberties that we have here. and no way should we ever be ashamed or embarrassed to speak about the one who loves us so much. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.